Lashana Tova, toward a good new year. The seasons have turned yet again. In the Jewish tradition, they celebrated the start of their new year, 5781. Friday night was the beginning of one of the most holy times in Judaism, when people go through a personal inventory of wrongs done by act or word and make every effort for forgiveness as well as making amends. For this year, Rosh Hashanah and the High Holy Days, we can consider that as a creation story that happens again and again. And as the story that continually renews, we encounter the power of speaking life into existence. We experience the consequences of choices, of naming, of declaring. For us, in our everyday lives, as we usher in the beginning of the year and speak of renewal in our theme this month, what does, what does starting over in the new year look like today? What does it mean to begin again with a deep beginning in these unprecedented, unprecedented times? What does starting over in the new year look like today? And what does it mean to begin in these unprecedented times. Now, when working within such a practice as writing one's name on the book of life itself, which is the metaphor for these days in Judaism, I think we should begin with the really big picture, something cosmic, if you will. Uh, Rabbi David Seidenberg, who is the author of Kabbalah and Ecology, God's image in the more than human world. He wrote a beautiful reflection in this time with regard to how we treat the earth and how we keep making choices. He invokes the sense of deep time that comes with Rosh Hashanah. He says, on Rosh Hashanah, after every time we hear the sound of the shofar, we call out the words, Heom Harat Olam. Heom Harat Olam. This expression is usually translated as today is the birthday of the world or today the world is born. But even though, he says, that's a common translation, the Hebrew word hara or harat actually means pregnancy, conception, or gestation. It's not birth, but the process that leads to birth. Let me say again, it's not birth, but it's the process that leads to birth. And furthermore, olam, he says, can mean world, but it can also mean eternity. For the root word of hidden, or more precisely, the infinite that is hidden, is beyond our limited perception. Therefore, the expression, he says, of harat olam could be rendered as pregnant with eternity, or eternally pregnant. So the days of Rosh Hashanah are pregnant with eternity. And I say again, in this time, in this moment, during Rosh Hashanah, this very moment we are in is pregnant with eternity. I say, what deeper evocation could one find of this wondrous and miraculous cosmos than to say it is eternally pregnant? always bringing forth new life, new creatures, new species. Our universe is always dynamic and growing. 
It's not balanced like a pillar on a foundation, but it is more like a gyroscope, David says, turning and turning. What higher praise, he says, of the Creator could there be than when one finds in this description, and as it says in the Psalms, how wondrously diverse, how limitless, how great are your works, source of life. All of this is in our cosmic moment of Rosh Hashanah and in the sound of the shofar that is whole and broken and whole again and again and again. Now as creatures, in this corner of the galaxy, we have our part. We ourselves are actors in the universe, if you will, in creation. We have been for a long time in this place. In keeping with Jewish tradition that we are exploring today, now a long time, uh, metaphorically in our deep stories, would bring us back to the garden in the Bible and those first humans, Adam and Eve. In the line of human decision-making, we have a lot in common from Adam and Eve, who made a first choice about the care of the Garden of Eden. They also made their choice to eat from the tree of the fruit uh, of knowledge of good and evil. But let me be clear. Their choice, this eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, when God told them not to, that's all often been declared as a sin, but it was not actually a sin. In the Jewish tradition, that act of eating the fruit was under, is understood as a choice. It's a choice with consequences, but it's a choice, not sin. Adam and Eve chose what to do about engaging with their world. As my Unitarian Universalist and Jewish colleague, the Reverend Marty Keller points out, their choice gained them a sense of power and not leaving everything up to God. So we are in that, in essence, that lineage from Adam of Eve of taking our power and not leaving everything up to outside forces. So in this renewal for this year, how shall we renew our sense of engagement, of agency in the world? We get to have this challenge in these days of awe, of coming back to this practice of reflection, of admission to what we have done, and a commitment to reform and change our lives. In the practice of the spiritual work of Rosh Hashanah, another year has passed, and here we are again. And in this moment, we have so much to consider. We have the fires in the West. We have storms in the Atlantic. We have a pandemic, and we also have, among other things, this awareness of racial oppression and conflict around shifting those systems that have been around for, that we have created for a very, very long time. So we have all of this and more in our world right now. And as individuals, as a community, as a society, in dealing with these before us, our executive functions are challenged already. And now, now in, in this time of this new year in Judaism, we are being asked to consider the world and the universe, to consider everything we have done that you or I have done wrong or handled badly, 
all of those concerns in our lives, isn't there enough before we are asked to engage with this practice as well? What we have as an opportunity is, and what, one of the reasons I come back to the High Holy Days again and again and keep trying to understand it as a Unitarian Universalist looking into Judaism, is how much this renewal of the world calls us back into relationship. The start of a new year if you will, is not worth much unless our actions make it different from the year before. I'm reminded every time I engage with this tradition and this practice that it is worth reckoning with our lives right now and not putting it off, not waiting to a better time or another moment. And it is so restorative to listen to the, think about the sound of the shofar, of what sounds, what was whole and is broken, and then has a chance to be whole again. To have faith in that there are renewals and cycles that are a part of our lives, and that they don't just go away because we are heartbroken or traumatized or deeply concerned or don't see the path right now. Part of what we get to do in this moment of personal reckoning that is the core of the spiritual practice in Rosh Hashanah is addressing the wrongs that we have done. Uh, and I realize, I'm going to put a couple of other religious words out here, and I'm going to give you a little fair warning. I realize the word sin has some very negative reactions among us. I'm going to ask you to hang in there. We are both drawing from Judaism and understanding the tradition in its context. So I want to offer an understanding of sin as missing the mark. It's not something that you're inherently bad about, but you have aspirations, values, uh, purposes in our lives, and that there are times when we kind of don't aim true, if you will. So. I want to ask, in this last year, in this moment, when have you gone astray from what matters most, from your higher values, our larger relationships and commitments? So if you will, sin is when we move away from those transcendent values of love and hope and justice, when we get off track from, uh, the, say, the church's mission of loving inclusively, and making the effort to heal our world. So if you understand that's where sin is maybe coming from, when the liturgy is put together for these days in the tradition, there's a litany of confession for harms done, whether or uh, by intent or not, and it can be extensive uh, to consider all the harms that one may have, one may have committed in the course of a year. From Chaim Stern, a reform rabbi from the 20th century, who's known for his poetry and creation of liturgy, I offer his prayer for overcoming indifference. For the sin of silence, for the sin of indifference, for the secret complicity of the neutral, 
for the closing of borders, for the washing of hands, for the crime of indifference, for the sin of silence, for the closing of borders, for all that was done and all that was not done. Let there be no forgetfulness before the throne of glory. Let there be remembrance within the human heart and let there at last be forgiveness when your children, O God, are free and at peace. In the Jewish tradition, there is this effort of confession to be witnessed and affirmed by God. But I'm going to say at the same time, this act of confession, this naming out loud, is very much a human endeavor as well. It gets to take us, take into our heart, and honoring and naming and owning what we have done and what we have not done. You can take responsibility. We consider all that has happened uh, for ourselves as well as in our society, the war and climate change and poverty and systems of oppression. We make this effort to engage, to find our way to refresh and renew and confess and own our mistakes again and again. And I want to offer, we don't have to do this alone. We do this because of love, because of the value of connection. And in doing this together, we get to do this in church. I see um, how we get to help each other uh, in figuring out how to stay on track and how to uh, understand the value of, of engaging in this work of ownership and forgiveness not by ourselves, but with others. We get to be reminded about what's most important in this work, what's most important in our coming together. I'm reminded of this often in particular with religious education programs for, uh, in particular, how in every volunteer conversation somewhere, in talking with volunteers working with children and with youth, somewhere there is this reminder of our larger purpose like why adults would mentor youth, why youth would spend a time with adults outside of our immediate families. We find kindred souls for games and for laughter. We expand the circle of relationship that holds us through uh, times of struggle and times of joy. We get to help a teen figure out what pronouns to use and who they love. Um, we get to kick off the start of the religious education year as as Amy Pop and the, and the Religious Education Program are doing this afternoon with a uh, communion of chocolate and fruit. And we get to kind of have that play, that sacred play together. All of this coming together helps make it easier to go back to recognizing how we have gotten off track and how important it is to find our way back again. We have the particular opportunity of the religious community so we don't face the new year alone, to have companions when our heart is too full and needs a chance to be emptied. So we have practice with renewing our acts of creation, if you will. Knowledge of good and evil doesn't mean we know what to do with our world, not at first and not in many moments along the way. 
So we work together to make that possible. And part of our work in the Jewish tradition is really understanding um, how we own our errors and mistakes and how we can feel truly sorry and make every effort to right whatever wrong has been done. Uh, in Judaism, this practice is called teshuva. And we see this found in the story, The Watermelon Thieves, that Amy told earlier. Now, teshuva is usually, usually translated as repentance. And it really means return. Uh, when we fall short of being our best selves, we are haunted by our conscience, as the watermelon thieves were in the story. And we go through the process of teshuva to help us to erase our mistakes and return to our more moral center. We admit what we've done wrong. We feel remorse, resolve in our heart not to do that again, and make every effort to right the wrong, including apologizing and acting for, asking for forgiveness, and making every effort to relieve the pain or distress we might have caused. So that act of admission, the feeling of remorse, resolving to change, and owning the error and every, doing everything we can to make it right, that is that deep internal process and then taking it out into the world in action, that is the process of teshuva. We also have, uh, in our act of going through, you know, going through this new year process together, um, we get to witness others, mutual support, what different behavior might look like. Um, this clearing of the heart uh, also applies to resentment. Uh, in the story of Pocketful of Stones, Malcolm uh, is becoming entirely different because of what he's holding on to. And he finally realizes that when he sees his lumpy reflection in a puddle. I like the story because it offers kind of the other side of this process of reckoning. Um, how often uh, I know, I don't know what a, whether another person understands the impact of their actions on me. I have to make choices about how to proceed as well. Now, Malcolm made the choice at first to hold on to rocks, but there's a different process that can be found, one that's a cycle of forgiveness and learning. It's not forgetting, it's not erasing something that happened, but it is forgiving and releasing what had been in the past whenever possible. This process can be one where we treat ourselves gently uh, in times of deep trauma, of some harms, because some harms last and last and aren't resolved in one moment of reckoning. It is forgiveness as much as possible, so we may move forward. This is the work of faith and community as well. Um, and we remind each other as we gather, as we weep together and struggle together, that there is going to be another day, that the sun will rise again. Now, Malcolm removed his stones himself and power to him because the work we have to start with ourselves. But I tell you, and I bet, uh, I will admit, I don't do well at releasing resentment and grudges on my own. 
the communal spirit of these next days in the Jewish tradition is a further reminder of how we support each other, even though each of us is responsible for crafting our own page in the Book of Life. So, in this moment, in this gathering of these days of awe, how do we begin? We offer an honest assessment of ourselves. We ask for help. We admit mistakes and seek forgiveness. We can let ourselves be willing to mend what has been broken. And if we can do this again and again, we are clearing ourselves that we may be ready for what may come, for continuing this work of justice, for this effort, our commitment to compassion and recognizing the holy in each other, for understanding that we are all in this together, that we are all part of this great and wondrous world, to be able to reckon and move forward is never more important than right now in this very moment. Hayom harat olam. Today, this day, this Rosh Hashanah is pregnant with eternity. Today is an opportunity to conceive new intentions, new possibilities. Today is our day. Today is when we are on this very planet Earth. And as we say at the end of the Rosh Hashanah liturgy, Hayim Kolchem Hayom, all of you are alive today. And today, Hayom, our choices will gestate for the future, for our children, and for the children of every species upon this planet. Today, may we find courage. Today, may we be blessed. Today, may we be inscribed in the book of life for good lives. Today, let us listen to the voice of guidance within us. Today, let us pay attention to the creation that is around us. All of this, all of this is potent and possible and happening. May you go forth into this good day. Amen. <laughs>